Hey folks, Adam B. Levine here. So this year has been super intense, and we're not even a quarter of the way through it. We've got some really cool episodes coming up in the next few weeks, but I've been getting this nostalgic itch as I go back to the early episodes of the show and even further. Last night, while I was digging, I came across the very first Bitcoin podcast I ever recorded, edited, produced, and released in 2011. It was before I started using my real name way back in the summer of that year. We're coming up on 10 years now, and after listening to it, I was struck by how what's changed the most about the conversations we have today versus those we had in the very beginning is price. Outside of that, technology has advanced, but the big themes remain the same. So this time, instead of looking forward, we're zooming back to the very beginning. And if you enjoy this piece from the historical archives, or don't for that matter, <laughs> send me an email at adam at speakingofbitcoin.show. I'm trying to figure out what to do with the rest of this stuff. It's also worth noting that my co-host at the time, who went by Atlas, is actually the original creator of the Bitcoin subreddit uh, before getting into an argument over his libertarian principles, feeling like he had betrayed them because he made some argument that he couldn't back up, and then leaving the community and uh, assigning the ownership of the Bitcoin subreddit, which has now become obviously a very big deal over there, to Thamos, who also ran BitcoinTalk.org which set up some interesting dynamics for when the scaling wars would come. But that's a story for another time. For now, here's episode one of BitTalk with Atlas and Atom. You announcer. Stay tuned for BitTalk with Atlas and Atom. But first, a word from our sponsors. Last night, I was awakened from a fitful sleep shortly after two o'clock in the morning by a shrill, sibilant, faceless voice. I couldn't make it out at first in the dark bedroom. And I said, I'm sorry, you'll have to talk a little louder. And the voice said to me, I want you to tell the people the truth. Not an easy thing to do because the people don't want to know the truth. And I said, you're kidding. What the hell should I know about the truth? But the voice said to me, don't worry about the truth. I will put the words in your mouth. And I said, what is this, the burning bush? For God's sake, I'm not Moses. And the voice said to me, and I'm not God. What has that got to do with it? And the voice said to me, we're not talking about eternal truth or absolute truth or ultimate truth. We're talking about impermanent, transient human truth. I don't expect you people to be capable of truth, but God damn it, at least you're capable of self-preservation. So I thought about it for a moment. And then I said, okay. BitTalk, a weekly podcast on news and happenings in the world of Bitcoin. I'm your host, Adam. And this is Atlas, your co-host, and you may have previously known me from the original Bitcoin podcast. So we're essentially a podcast all about Bitcoin. And for those who are new to Bitcoin, Bitcoin is essentially a decentralized digital currency. And that's dependent on the people, and it's for the people. Not by centralized, uh, centralized organizations such as central banks or governments. It's basically the people's money, and the reality is is that we, as the people, have the opportunity to either make it succeed or not. You know, so so uh, we're going to get into more details on what actually constitutes bit- Bitcoin and what actually makes it the protocol, things like that, because it's a fairly complex topic 
uh, being, you know, money. Money is a fairly complex topic. We just usually don't talk about it. But um, anyway, so we're going to get into that in a uh, in a episode coming probably a week or two down the line. That'll be a primer on Bitcoin. But for the purposes of this show, this first show, we're just going to dive right into the news and start talking about the events and happenings. So, uh, you know. Uh, Stay with us. And, uh, and uh, let me just say right up front that if you have any uh, comments or uh, questions, you can send those in to us at BitTalkRadio. It's BitTalkRadio at gmail.com. BitTalkRadio right. at gmail.com. Okay, I'll get used to that one. <laughs> right on the BitTalk.tv, there's a contact link. You just click that right there, and you can contact us on Facebook, Twitter, email, whatever rocks your boat. Yes, indeed. Uh, so uh, in most recent news, Bitcoin difficulty just jumped up sky-fucking-high from 877000 to 1379000 in terms of – I don't know what those numbers exactly represent, but it's network score difficulty. So now instead of getting, say, about half a Bitcoin today, you're probably going to be getting about 0.10 Bitcoins a day if you're mining through your computer. So this is a pretty big for the community in terms of um, – in terms of the price of Bitcoin, its value, and so forth. So we might be seeing the exchange rates uh, going pretty high in the next couple of weeks. Well, it's a maturation of the market is what it is. You know, I mean, that's one of the things that really attracted me to Bitcoin initially is that, you know, is that you've got this supply that is very clearly defined. So really the only question is what is demand going to do? You know, because if the supply stays the same, stays the, stays the same but demand goes up, then – you know, I mean, we know what happens there. The price goes up. It's pretty simple. And the demand seems to be really high with the uh, set community we have, about 100,000 or so, and hence why we've seen so much mining. So I really doubt these people mining are just out to get a quick buck and sell it on the markets, you know. Oh, well, maybe I'm wrong. Is it how it is right now? You know, just... Yeah, I think that I think that it really goes both ways. I think you've got people who are looking at this from the long term, but I think there are a lot of people out there who are viewing this sort of as just a, as a temporary phenomenon, and what we're going to see is is a collapse after this. But But again, it goes back to the fundamentals of it for me. Which is that you know you've got this 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 inherently finite supply, and what you're talking about is is an illustration of that. You know is uh, is that by is that because we've had such an influx of miners and active you know and people expanding their operation and the move to GPU processing instead of CPU processing. Basically, what that's done is it's it's made it so that there are a lot more people competing for those same bitcoins, and so as the uh, difficulty goes up then you're going to start to see them dropping out or the technology increase with it. I, I think that this is really not so much of a problem for most people out there. You know, you can still mine with pools, but as the value goes up, I mean, really, what would you rather have? One Bitcoin at, or rather, uh, a tenth of a Bitcoin when they're worth $17 or, you know, a whole Bitcoin when they're worth a dollar? You know, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the numbers make sense for me. Well, what brings up another concern is that all the Bitcoin supply is being hoarded within a certain uh, niche of individuals. You know, the regular people are only going to have just Bitcoins when they see they want they want to spend them online with certain exclusive Bitcoin retailers. And the hardcore people are going to be the ones with so many Bitcoins. And since there's a finite supply, you have a lot of geeks that are just controlling the economy, and that's a concern that's brought up with a lot of people. Is Bitcoin truly decentralized if there's a few that own the most of the blockchain? See, now – I, I, I uh, that's that's where uh, this is this is another area where you and I differ. I think that uh, that it's invigorating. I think that 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 is a very exciting development actually. And I'm I'm actually quite new to the market. You know, I just uh, I have I'm holding 20 bitcoins at the moment, and uh, and I've been I had been struggling to fund for the last month or so. So this is something that I looked at. You know, uh, maybe 
six months or uh, nine months back and sort of went like, no, not, not really that interested, didn't really see the point. But now that I see, now that I've read the white paper on it, now that I uh, understand how the protocol works a little bit better, it really does seem to me that this is, this is just the future of it. But um, I actually completely forgot what you said, uh, Atlas. Uh, what I was referring, I was speaking of how a few will own most of the bitcoins in the market. But you know, there's a, something called the eighty twenty rule, and that just made how just the tragedy of the commons of Bitcoin. You know, and I never really advocated that Bitcoin should be evenly divided among people. I'm really, I'm not on either side. You know, I'm just saying matter of fact that uh, quite a few people will own a majority of the blockchain. I mean, I hear like Satoshi, he has like five percent, ten percent of the whole chain. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Well, no, I mean, I think that uh, I, I can certainly see how there would be concerns about manipulation, but the question is, what's the, what's the benefit? You know, if the market gets flooded, then that means someone, you know, if someone cashes out, let's say, 25% of the Bitcoins in existence. You know, I mean, then certainly that floods the market, but it's not like that supply is indefinite. It's not like that can keep happening. So that's why, you know, we're going to get into the conversation on Mt. Gox, but there's a lot of concern about a real crash, but I mean... Why be concerned about a crash when the money, ha when the value has to come from somewhere in order to buy all of these things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's a, it's a one-shot gun, you know. If someone has a, like a million Bitcoins, they sell on the market, that's it. They can't do any more damage to the economy. Right, exactly. You know? And it just redistributes to everyone else. So if anything, it actually helps the whole cause in, in the end, you know. <laughs> well, you know, it always pays to play the contrarian and things like this. And the thing that I've seen is everybody out there is trying to play the contrarian. Everybody out there saying, oh, yeah, man, this security breach is going to be terrible for everything. And that's when I'm going to buy and so the fact that everybody's saying that to me says that, you know, that this is this is the beginning and not the end. It's uh, I'm very excited. But but getting back to uh, to what you were saying earlier in terms of more people in terms of a small number of people holding a large number of the of the currency, you know, I think that uh, that's something that will be solved once you have the marketplace start to kick in more. We've already seen it happen, you know, and uh, and you can already look at sites like uh, Bidding Pond and uh, Bitcoin Hop, and there are a couple others out there. Um, that uh, that have uh, auction sites going on. And, and really, I mean, if you look at those auction sites, what you'll see is that there's a huge number of people trying to sell stuff. It's, it's not a huge number of people, but relative to the amount of people who are trying to buy stuff with Bitcoins, you know, the market, I mean, people want Bitcoins, and it is hard to get them. If you have to fund through, you know, through, uh, uh, through one of the exchanges, you know, trying to go through Mt. Gox or something similar to that, uh, the only option for a lot of people out there is, you know, to go from U.S. dollars or whatever your local currency is to Liberty Reserve, you know, and then transfer from that into, uh, into Mt. Gox and then make your purchases there or any other exchange for that matter. Um, see, see, that's where I'm kind of confused with all this. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big, I haven't really gone into merchant accounts or how banks work. But why isn't there anybody with that just accepts credit cards outright, and allows them to buy their own virtual form of U.S. dollars on their site and sell them back and forth? I mean, are just credit cards just as bad as PayPal when it comes to chargeback requests? Or? Uh, well, the deal is, is that uh, the deal is, is that most of them just won't do business. That, that seems to be what's happening here, is that companies like PayPal are adopting stances that are, that are, uh, that are staunchly and blatantly anti-Bitcoin. So uh, basically, if there's any sort of question about, okay, well, did, was this transaction uh, okay? Or, you know, if, the, if, if someone buys Bitcoins with PayPal, I actually ran into this problem because I tried to do it. I tried to buy Bitcoins with PayPal, but nobody would sell them to me because the problem is, is that, uh, is that uh, if you report that it was a bad transaction or like that they scammed you or something like that, then PayPal just automatically sides on the side of the buyer. So that, 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 
doesn't necessarily sound like a bad thing, but then you look at, okay, well, but Bitcoins are irreversible. So once that transaction goes, then if they can go, you know, 10 days later or even, you know, a little bit later that day and say, okay, well, you know, uh, PayPal, PayPal, they, they scammed me, then PayPal doesn't even investigate it, just automatically refunds the person their PayPal, and then they're still holding the Bitcoin, so it makes it super easy to scam and basically destroyed that as a venue to do it. So, I mean, so really what we're seeing here is very, very aggressive policy moves by some of the payment sites, and I believe MasterCard did it too. Ah, uh, I see. Well, you see, that reminds me. Uh, WikiLeaks recently called that Bitcoin itself will not be the future of online um, marketing. I mean, they say Bitcoin will act itself as like the gold of the whole digital currencies and digital transactions. What they want to see is a subcurrency of Bitcoin to just work for regular people like mom and pop, so they can do transactions on the web. And it's like, oh, they didn't like the product or whatever, they can just reverse the transaction. And um, I guess I guess they have a good point there. I guess there is sometimes a call for reversible transactions, but not when it comes to uh, the first line of value. I think I mean, Bitcoin, what, I, yeah, I think that uh, WikiLeaks is all hat and no cowboy. That's what I think about them. They've been talking <laughs> a really big talk for quite some time, and they've really released very little. You know, I mean, we were supposed to see lots of documentation on uh, the uh, uh, Adrian Hassan talked up... Uh, uh, said that they had a, a series of bombshells on uh, Bank of America and never actually ended up releasing anything at all. So, I mean, I think that, that you're going to see lots of people calling for central control of this. I think that's going to be the move because really that's the only way that it can be co-opted. You know, if, if you have, if you have a, a new currency that's derived off of this that has the ability to be centrally controlled, which Bitcoin essentially doesn't outside of the entire network colluding to accomplish that, you know, then... Uh, but I don't know. I think that that's its key selling point, frankly. But uh, sorry. You see, once you get Bitcoin centrally controlled, it's not Bitcoin anymore. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, if it's if you're going to do that, why why not have anything else? And and since it's open source software, you just see some people just make another chain. You know, I think we really have reached a singularity here. I think there's no turning back. People are going to want decentralized money. They're going to realize this is the best form of money and where to keep their wealth and labor in. And it's just there's no stopping it. Even if the government were to take down the current Bitcoin right now, something else is just going to show up. Right. You know, it's just centralized all the way down. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I mean, you can you can fight progress certainly, but eventually, <laughs> eventually, unsustainable systems no longer function, and so that's that's really where I think that we are now is that, and that's why you know that's why uh, Bitcoin and so many other currencies are so attractive. You know, not not even currencies. I'm talking about commodities. I'm talking about you know like silver. I'm talking about you know various other things. Um, you know, I mean, for God's sake, I I I, uh, I stocked up on grain six months ago. You know, and and I'm glad that I did because we use it and. Frankly, it's a lot more expensive now than it was then. So, you know, I mean, I think that, that, that that's, the, that's the key driving factor here is that, is that fiat currencies, which are the standard currencies across the world, are just fundamentally not safe to have your money in as an individual. If you want to retain your purchasing power, if you want to still have the same amount of money that you did today, uh, that you did, you know, today in a week or two weeks then the only way you can do that is by getting into something that isn't constantly being printed to pay for someone else's debts. Well, you see, the, the liberals are still stuck on fiat currencies, though, because they still want to see the government being able to inflate the currency because just based on uh, – based on, they haven't seen the contrary, really. We haven't had a, a standard set non-inflationary I mean, non currency in our society, so they claim that a non-inflationary currency, if Bitcoin become the standard – we would uh, <laughs> go to the dumps in their view, you know. Uh, I just, 
is there really anything backing this? That's my question. Well, it's um, this is this is definitely a conversation to have. Um, I think that uh, Bitcoin is a really interesting project in that no, nothing is backing it. There, there is nothing intrinsic. You can't eat it. You can't really, you know, you can't make. I mean, even with gold, you know, it while you couldn't necessarily get the current price that it's at now, which is about fifteen hundred uh, per ounce. Um, for its actual, you know, uh, practical uses, which would be jewelry or electronic connections, things like that. Uh, at the same time, it still has something, so it probably will never go to zero. Bitcoin does have the potential to go to zero if there's complete abandonment. But outside of complete abandonment, there really isn't that much of a problem because it's not a fiat currency. This is, this is the dichotomy that people have to understand, is that it's a unbacked currency. There's nothing backing it, but it's well, not uh I'm just going to correct you one time. There is one thing that's backing it, and it's its future. It's its feature of being an online transaction tool. You know, it's a feature. It's only intrinsic value is the fact that it can be used as a tool. Oh, it's fantastic know. money. Uh, yeah, Don't get me yeah. wrong. Don't get me wrong. It's it's fantastic money by all of the defi- by all of the the requirements to make something a good source of money. In that, you know, it's durable and divisible. You know, bitcoins are. People talk about the the finite number of bitcoins. You know, the 21 million. Um, and 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 say, and somehow uh, say that oh well that's a problem that means that no one's going to be able to afford a bitcoin once everybody gets into it but the reality is that bitcoins unlike just about anything else because of their because of their sort of virtual nature are divisible down to eight decimal points so well, even more it's it's infinite that's infinitely that's divisible if it, the protocol if a protocol change is really called for right. people can change it to go as low as like you could go it's really truly infinite i had a huge argument about this on reddit and they say no it's not truly infinite because it would require a protocol change, but if people really need to divide it, and if they can't, they can't buy a loaf of bread with anything less than a hundred dollar unit. <laughs> right. No, you're gonna. Yeah. So you know, and this this actually brings us back to something else. Um, to uh, uh but now I forgot. It, so you go ahead. <laughs> oh well, we were talking about. Let's just go back to the talk about. See, a lot of uh, – even Amir Taki, he's one of the developers, he says that um, there will still be centrally controlled money and that there will still be fractional reserve central banks and such, even if Bitcoin becomes a standard. I absolutely do not understand that. Apparently, uh, he, he sourced this from an economist called Ben Friedman. He says that there still will be fractional reserve banking with fiat currency. You know why? And, why? Because it's profitable. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's that's the uh, you know uh, think about it like this. Given the choice of having to purchase bitcoins and then lend out those bitcoins that you know you've you've purchased, uh, isn't it much easier to instead just create dollars uh, with a uh, with a you know out of checkbook money and and loan that out instead at interest? You know, I mean, if you actually have to pay for something, well, then there are real costs associated there. But you know, but if you pay nothing for your money, if you just create it, then well, you know, five percent from no investment. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that uh, fractional reserve banking will cease to exist. I'm saying for centrally controlled uh, lending practices. He says those – I believe he claimed those would still exist if Bitcoin became the standard. And I don't understand that absolutely at all because people will entirely – they'll want to store their wealth in something that keeps its value, not an inflationary currency that will deduct slowly over time. You know, People are going to put their savings in Bitcoin, I believe, in the long run. Uh, unless I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless everybody's wrong. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't think we can tell the future. I think that Bitcoin, you know, of all the currencies that I've looked at, and I've looked at many currencies, uh, th- it it has very, very attractive features. It has, you know, it's still, it, we're past the first bump, the first phase where nobody knew about it. We're getting into the next part. But this is a bull market in Bitcoin. 
and I, for one, am very excited to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. I was glad to be a part of it a year ago when it was just so small. I mean, it was literally just the only thing you could buy with Bitcoins was pencils, SpongeBob stickers, and stamps. I was like, oh, this is such a fun toy. You know, it felt like a Chuck E. Cheese almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I was, yeah, I couldn't see it any bigger than that. I didn't really fully realize the potential it had until a year later. And I'm like, oh, man, I deleted over a 1,000 Bitcoins because I hoarded the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, well, you learned your lesson there. I think everybody throws away money a couple of times. And that's that's what I'm wondering is those 80, 80% of the Bitcoins aren't circulating. So are like a good portion of those just the real early adopters like me from a year ago who just gave up on it and is just sitting on a dead hard drive somewhere? Or is it just people that are just hoarding, you know, because they see so much potential? Well, in you it. know, I actually see some of it coming out. I, uh, I, um, let's see, I traded some silver on one of the bidding sites for, uh, for some Bitcoins. And uh, and the guy who sent over – and the guy who, who wound up purchasing it uh, hadn't used uh, Bitcoin on that computer in like, I don't know, two or three weeks. So it took a while for it to propagate or for the payments to propagate. So I do think that, you know, that the people at this rate are starting to pull them out and starting to put them into the market. But the demand for them is just so much greater. I mean you look at these boards and it's very clear that people definitely, definitely want Bitcoins. But, but beyond that, I think the really interesting thing is that, you know, right now everybody's talking about, about this system – like uh, it, relative to the United, to the U.S. dollar, but I think there's a case to be made that once we expand the services that are available for Bitcoin, then that connection isn't necessarily required. I mean, Bitcoins once they get off the U.S. dollar, I mean that, that's that's what we're talking about. We're not really necessarily seeing all this volatility as a direct result of um, as a direct result of just market volatility and people selling and buying and you know oh my god the price is so crazy it keeps changing it's also because the US dollar is constantly being devalued which is encouraging people into the currency and so you know there it's it's a complex issue but a very interesting point. I haven't heard that before. That the that's that's actually a sign of the U.S. dollar declining. That the <laughs> Bitcoin is so volatile. Well, that's I, what I inflation is. I mean, just inflation in general. So you know, I mean, once you understand that, you know, our, that the, the U.S. government, which uh, through the dollar backs just about every currency out there, you know, because most most currencies are based on a, uh, international currencies are either pegged to the dollar or based on a basket of of currencies of which the U.S. dollar is the most prominent portion. So yeah. so the whole world is backed on the U.S. dollar. So because we're printing money and constantly devaluing this dollar, it's making everything get get all volatile. That's why we're seeing the spikes in commodity prices. That's why silvers and uh, silver and gold are doing all the nutso things it's doing. The, uh, you know, silver is still the same as it was a hundred years ago. It's still the same as it was, was ten years ago when it was worth almost nothing. But same price in terms of. No, 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 not same price, not same price, but I'm just saying, if you have a silver coin, you know, 10 years ago, that's still the same silver coin. The silver didn't change. What changed is that there are more dollars out there, and the silver is worth more of those dollars because the amount of silver hasn't. I see, I see. So, so that's that's what it is. Inflation is an increase in the supply of money. People think that it's pr- that uh, it's prices going up, but that's price inflation, and, you know, people would like you to misunderstand that, but they're to- two totally different things. So we can get back on news. I realize that I totally went off on a tangent there. <laughs> oh, that's no problem. Let's see what else. I mean, uh, there are only two prominent things going on right now, and that's the difficulty change and the Mount Gox fiasco. Well, let's talk Mount Gox then. First yeah. off, uh, first off, now this is probably gonna be old hat for some of the, for uh, for some of the folks who have been in the community for a long time. But uh, I, I did not actually know what Mount Gox stood for, and you, you explained this to me yesterday. Yeah, uh, Mount Gox. It it's a base of its software. It's 
founding code. I don't know how it is now, but it was magical. The Magic the Gathering trading card software. People would literally trade cards for money using this. And basically, they put Bitcoins into it, replaced the cards, so Bitcoins were traded. Uh, with the security of the software, it was just treated as just paper. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so the security was inherently not very tough giving the source, but you can't really blame them too much in the beginning because Bitcoin was so small. It was merely just a geek hobby when they first started in Mt. Gox, you know. But uh, they just didn't change fast enough, and here they are nearly uh, grasping for air, you know. Well, this was inevitable. I mean, that's, that's I think, what's going to come out, is that this was inevitable. This is a fresh market. This is new. Nobody knows what they're doing, and it's very exciting to see, as you can probably tell. I'm very excited to see. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, so so Mt. Gox is literally uh, Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. Then it's an acronym, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I really would just like to see, you know, as have banks originally failed in the early America, you know, just having a bank runs. I think it would be very healthy for economy to see these services fail and people being more trusting. I mean – more cautious with their money and where they put it, you know. I just hope this would teach people that before we. I think this is a very necessary lesson we need in this uh, economy because with a lot of freedom comes a lot of responsibility on the individual level. And seeing all these people use the same passwords and using these really cruddy passwords is very worrying. And people are going to just end up begging for government regulation to help protect themselves, you know. Well, that's the thing of it is that it's all about incentives. You know, most of life and most of the decisions that are made out there are all about incentives. So. So what we've done with what what we have under normal circumstances is that if you put money in the bank, then that money is safe because not only you know is the bank going to protect it, but even if they don't protect it, even if they go out of business for whatever reason, then you've got deposit insurance there that's paid for by the taxpayers that'll cover your losses up to well it used to be it used to be a hundred thousand dollars and then three years ago they raised it to two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars per per account of course unlimited number of accounts uh, and uh, now I believe they've completely raised the they've they've eliminated the ceiling on that so now it doesn't matter so anyways so there's no risk in being in any banks, no matter how risky it is. Uh, and, and in the real world, you don't feel that because it's sort of just the, the pain is spread around everybody else. When a bank goes out of business, taxpayers just pick up the bill, and so nobody really feels the pain. But in, but in Bitcoin and in an unregulated new market like this, what you have is nobody's protecting you. So you have to protect yourself. And if you protect yourself, well, I mean, you're also not paying any fees. You're also not paying for anybody else. I mean, that's the thing about it, is that if you're a taxpayer, you know, and a bank goes out of business, well, if it's your bank, then you're okay with paying for that. But if it's somebody else's bank, well, you're still paying for that just as much as you would be if it's your bank. So is that... Yeah. Oh, you see, the benefit of it is that you get to choose your own security. You get to choose security that is competitive on a different level. You don't have – there's accountability for failure when it comes to protection, you know? Right. And you can, you, can, you can choose a security force to protect your currency that will inevitably sustain itself, hopefully, after we get over this uh, – obstacle here. <laughs> well, but in the long yeah. run, that's that's what the point is. In the long run, what this does is it teaches people that they need to pay attention. That if this is something that they're going to do, if they're going to if they're going to spend money on this or put value into it whatever way selling products in exchange for Bitcoin or whatever, they need to be paying attention. They need to make sure that the companies that they're working with are above board and not going to screw them because you know that so so reputation is going to become incredibly important and then you'll have the you know you won't need regulation necessarily because people who scam well 
they scam. So you just don't do business with them. Websites that have bad business practices just won't be patronized because at the same time, you don't have that safety net there where if they screw you, oh, well, it doesn't hurt. You know, I mean, well, it's, it's okay. I, I heard a term for that. Uh, it's called the asshole tax. I forget the context. So it was in. <laughs> in a natural thriving society, you always have the asshole tax. And it's usually very minor compared to a, a constant ambiance of force, you know, <laughs> by a, a, a monopoly on it, you know. My mother but, used to tell me, uh, if you can't be a shining example, at least be a horrible warning. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So um, yeah, but uh, but let's let's talk some specifics on the Mount Gox thing, though. Uh, so what actually happened? Because there's there's some mis- uh, misconceptions out there about this. Uh, what it appears actually happened is that the site's security was compromised. So we're not actually talking about anything fundamental to the currency. This is just the site specifically. And there have been some other breaches as a result of this because again, excuse me, um, people have uh, not great password uh, password uh, behaviors, and this is something I've had to work with myself on too. Uh, and you know, I mean, it, once you start, once you get used to the longer passwords and you get used to typing them, then it's not that bad, and it's better for the security. Otherwise, you can just, I don't know. What do you suggest, uh, Atlas? How how are you securing these days? How am I securing? Well, um, I've tried several different methods. Like originally, I used to have like a USB drive that was encrypted in a TrueCrypt file. It had a database of all my passwords. So if I wanted to use a password, I used the one password I used in my head, typed it out on my. Uh, USB drive to unencrypt my database of passwords, and I had this long-ass password for every site I had. I just copied it and pasted it, or I usually had a piece of software that did it for me. But nowadays, um, I usually take uh, two long phrases, mix them up with some numbers in the middle, like lead speak, and use a very, very long set of numbers that I just happen to remember. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's worked out for me. I mean, and since my p- passwords are so complex, um, Usually, uh, no one can cr- – like in a Mount Gox scenario, I mean, if they try to put it through those uh, brute force GPU hashers or whatever, it's just not going to – it's not going to break open, you know? Yeah. So, so even if I were to use the same password for every site, and but since it's so complex, um, the – the point of getting that single master key uh, is very unlikely, you right. know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, absolutely. So is that what you're still doing? Uh, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out how I want to do security per se, but I was definitely thinking that uh, I have a couple computers, so I would just uh, shove it onto one of my offline computers um, for the majority of it. But, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I think that what we're going to see more than anything is this will be the reason why we start seeing Bitcoin banks show up. And they won't be banks in the conventional sense that people are, are familiar with, where you've got the fractional reserve thing going on, where you deposit your money and, you know, supposedly you can take it out at any time, but they're also going to lend it to somebody else, and then they're going to pay you a little bit of interest. That, that, that really only works when you have an infinitely expandable money supply and banks are allowed to print money. So what we're going to see from the Bitcoin community, I think, is banks that actually function as banks used to, which is, you know, which is to say that you use it as a strong house. You use it as a, this is where you put, you know, they focus entirely on security. And instead of them paying you interest, you pay them a small fee, maybe, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like, you know, a tenth of a percent or something like that. Of you see, you got in there. I- I see it a bit differently. I think uh, imagining Bitcoin banks, it's a limited, it's a very limited imagination. What I would like to see is security agencies that go to these independent Bitcoin services and they make sure they're secure and they give them a little label that says, we promise on our integrity that this website's secure and that every Bitcoin service in itself acts as a bank and they exchange for your keeping the, your Bitcoins with them. They give you services at a lower cost or 
uh, or whatever. I think I I prefer that over just a flat out bank. You know, huh. <laughs> I mean, what's, uh, the, I, what's the advantage? Uh, what's the advantage for them? Uh, because then you are are are. Uh, then you are uh, encouraged to spend money there because you get discounted uh, goods. Yeah, you feel more. Yeah, and you feel more loyal to their service. Huh. It's good marketing, you know. I, I think I'd, I'd rather see it that go that route, and I think it may end up going that route over just a bank that just says, "Oh, we we'll just keep your money," you well, know. I think <laughs> I think that all of these things are not mutually exclusive. Uh, I think that uh, that's the beauty of this unregulated market and this brand new thing that we're talking about is that we don't know what's going to happen, but basically anything can happen because there are bitcoins out there. There are you know there are security experts who are looking for a way to monetize uh, their their knowledge. And to get into this, you know, with with a uh, minimal of capital investment, and that's a way to do it. So you see, a free market becomes a market of integrity, and what we're going to have businesses doing is selling integrity, and we will. That's how regulation comes about in a free market is through private licensing agencies that end up just, you know, like Consumer Reports. You know, yes, I agree. I, <laughs> yeah. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, yeah, certainly. I think that's more developed though. I think that when, once you're talking about uh, agencies that are that are going around, you know, then you're talking about voluntary unions and just all kinds of stuff. So, uh, you know, I think we got time. I, but you know, people people are wanting integrity right now, yes. right here. I mean, but I'm seeing a lot of people here are scaring me. I mean, there's some people who are just so fanatical about Mount Gox, and he's like, "Oh, just give them time, be patient with them," and he just I, I just want to beat him on the head. People don't <laughs> like change. People don't like change. That's what it is. Is that you know? Is that is that you've got these wild swings to one direction or another? But people don't like change. People don't like to you know be told that they were wrong and what they were doing. And I think that's fine, but. You know, but it doesn't change the fact that sometimes reality is just reality. I mean, I like to go by this, the philosophy of that. People are never uh, stupid, but only weak and beaten. But sometimes these fiascos like this kind of make me question that. <laughs> you know? Well, I think this is a learning experience. I think the people you've got who are freaking out should be freaking out. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it will impact their behavior in the future, and you'll see a much, much more careful class of people. You'll see people picking better passwords. You know, I mean, even ones that weren't directly affected by this because they saw what can happen, and they don't want to be the guy who gets, you know, 612 bitcoins stolen when they're worth $20 per, you know, whatever. Uh, so, I mean, really, the, the horrible warning thing, I think, does its job. We live in a very, very connected uh, society. So anytime you see these bad events go down, everybody knows about it. And that means that they don't repeat that often, you know, outside of like a Trojan or something. But again, that's just about education. <laughs> see, the first time I really thought about Mount Gox and the fact that it's holding all that amount of money and it could go fractional reserve at any time, I pulled all my bitcoins out of there and said, it's, I'm, not putting, I'm not keeping in these services anymore. Yeah. And I'm glad I <laughs> didn't have my 50 bitcoins in there for most of uh, this time. Well, yeah, I think yeah. that's just, you know, just a- absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there, uh, um, which, is that, uh, which is that exchanges – should not be your bank account. Exchanges are a terrible place to park large amounts of credits or really anything for that matter. What you should be doing with these accounts is you should be using them to fund, and if you're going to sell, you should be transferring to sell and then sitting them there while you sell them, and that's it. You know, Beyond that, you are at the mercy. You are uh, at the mercy not only of their security, but of their decisions as a company. So if they're a company that you trust, then absolutely. But you know, I think that after what we've seen happen, that's sort of a questionable thing. 
And I don't even trust my Bitcoins on technology anymore because it's so volatile, the zeros and ones being stored on magnetic strips or electricity even. I, I just like it in a physical form. That's why I have them stored on BitBills in an undisclosed location. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking about the BitBills. I think that's a really cool concept. I'm looking forward to looking into it more. Hey, so we've been going a long time already. What do you uh, – let's see. This Basically, we've done our discussion. The, the way that this show is going to work in the future is that we're going to try to have um, about a 15-minute period where we where we uh, go over the news, and then about a 15-minute period of discussion at the at the end of that. Um, that'll be on one or two specific topics, and we'll probably throw in uh, interviews as we go and as we sort of get to know members of the community. But um, but for the purposes of this one, we've sort of combined those two and just had a general mishmash. And so this is uh, yeah. So uh, anything else you want to talk about before we go for this week? Well, um. I've always been interested in the concept of – there's a guy, uh, he came on the forums a while ago, about a week ago. He went on newbie forums and he just had an outright title of, I want to put bitcoins in my body. <laughs> he wanted to get a bit bill and a bit bill implanted underneath his skin or something like that. And I'm like, that's actually a pretty interesting idea. And I have – frankly, I kind of got convinced on it. Like I couldn't see any real harm <laughs> in me doing it as well. I'm like, oh, that's a good way to save money and keep you from spending it. <laughs> and, you know, so uh, it would be – I think it would be pretty cool if you got Bitcoin private keys on a QR code and you just implant it in your hand or something. You want to take it out of your savings, you just – I don't know. You scan it out or something. But if it's a I QR code, then couldn't you just use like a temporary tattoo? You could use a temporary tattoo, but you see tattoos wear away over time. Sure. Your skin changes. It's, it's, it's just as volatile as keeping it on a flash sure. drive, you know? Huh. So, yeah. huh, and I hear people talking about keeping on flash drives. Don't keep your bitcoins on a flash drive. If you leave it for five years on there, there's a good chance it'll be all it'll be full of errors if you do that. <laughs> and, well, and, and it's actually not very well tested since flash drive technology is just so recent. We have we don't really know the long term effects of keeping it in over a decade. You know, right? <laughs> so don't keep your bitcoins on technology in general. <laughs> That's my philosophy. But. Anyways. Well, I think that as we move forward and as this market starts to mature a little bit, we're definitely going to see more options coming out. And there will definitely be services of whatever kind. I mean, who the hell knows what people are going to come up with. But I mean, I think right now that is the, the common factor is that all of the sites out there, you know, or not all of the sites, but many of the sites out there, you know, don't seem like they've been done in a very professional way. I was using Bidding Pawn the other day, and, you know, no offense to, to the creators, but that is a slow, archaic, poorly designed site. You know, well, well, like you said, these people aren't business people. I haven't seen a single good business plan on the Bitcoin forums. These are just tech geeks, you know, and sure. this is just a hobby to them. You right, know? absolutely. But, I, but yeah, but as this as this matures, then I think that you know we're we're definitely going to see all of these options pop up. That's a really interesting uh, thought that you had though about uh, about having businesses uh, actually act as the banks in exchange for discounts. Uh, off uh, their services, I think that's that's pretty good. <laughs> oh, I've been considering a lot. I mean, I have, I think I have some services like that stuck in my uh, email over there, of just business ideas. <laughs> and you know, everyone, I'm not the only one. There's just tons of people out there. It's just Bitcoin is just such a free, liberating concept. It just makes you just think of business ideas on a whim. You know, you just keep coming up with them. Yep. <laughs> so it's so uh, the future seems pretty bright with Bitcoin. It definitely does. Yes, indeed. And so here we sit uh, today as we record this. Mount Gox is still closed following the uh, following the um, what the heck's it called? Following the hacking incident of last week. But for my money, when we see Mount Gox open tomorrow, I, I guarantee you, I don't guarantee you. Uh, I'm willing to bet, though. I'll bet you a couple of bitcoins that uh, by the time we record this show next week, the price will be higher than it is this week. 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, I tried to put a bet uh, the other day that Bitcoin will rise above $30. And um, I don't know, the shares I had, it was, it seemed pretty, people were pretty convinced that, yeah, Bitcoin's going to rise above $30 in, within the next 30 days, if not. <laughs> I don't know about Sooner. that. I, you know, I'm 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 real. Uh, I think that uh, I think that the how quick this this all happens is really 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 up in the air. Just because you've got so many different variables in terms of government involvement, like because of this Mt. Gox thing, now there's something of a push for legislation. We've already had Chuck Schumer uh, say that bitcoins are illegal. You know, that it violates legal tender laws, which is of course just stupid. But go figure. He's a politician. Um, you see, if it does happen, if Bitcoin ends up just becoming totally illegal, I think it's just going to be more benefit to the Bitcoin holders if they aren't just scared status. Who, <laughs> well, it's just like marijuana. Want... I mean, it's just like it's yeah. just like you know, it's just like any anything that they make illegal. If they make it illegal, that will make it a more expensive, and b only criminals will transact in it because everybody who transacts and it will be a criminal. So of course, you know, I mean. Uh, the Pirate Bay founder, he gave a statistic that if Bitcoin gets at least like 10% of the black market economy, it's going up 600 times, yeah. and that's enough for me to retire. So <laughs> whatever they want to do, whatever they want to do. It sounds pretty selfish, but <laughs> uh, that's just my <laughs> – No, I, t I think that a lot of people are looking at this as a, uh, as a speculatory thing. I think right now the uh, – right now you know, the world economy is in such a place that people are looking for things that might actually potentially work. And I think that this is something that, because it's very hard to manipulate it, is a good bet that it might work. <laughs> so it's still a bet. Any anytime you do anything like this, it's still, you know, I don't view this as an investment. I view this as, as a bet on the future. But and the, the only weakest link is internet infrastructure. And if they end up to take total control of that, yeah. we still got mesh networking going. We still got people who can set up radio antennas in their backyard. <laughs> you know, right, absolutely. And now if, unless the government goes outright war on this, which is really hard to imagine, I think Bitcoin has a really good chance in succeeding, you know. So, so I think you can tell from uh, our perspectives that we are very optimistic about the future of Bitcoin and are very excited to be part of this growing movement and community. So I think that's going to just about wrap it up for us this week. Uh, until next time, I am Adam. And I am Atlas. And this is BitTalk.